Hey there, and welcome to episode 169 of Just the Zoo of Us. This week, I'm talking to a passionate shark scientist and author about the giant garbage disposals of the ocean, tiger sharks. We'll discuss sharks as links to our world's past, what it's like to work with the ocean as your office and wild sharks as your colleagues, teeth and slime and jelly-filled pores. It is truly a glamorous adventure. Just the Zoo of Us presents Tiger Sharks with Melissa Marquez. Hello, everybody. This is Ellen Weatherford here with Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast. And this week, I know a lot of you are going to be excited about this as much as I am. We have a new friend. This is Melissa Marquez. Say hi, Melissa. Hello, everyone. Melissa, what are your pronouns real quick? So my pronouns are she and her. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be talking to you from all the way on the other side of the planet. Uh, Shark love is reaching its arms all the way around the globe. (laughs) Melissa, I I would love it if before we talk about our animal friend today, if you could talk a little bit about how you got into the work that you do studying these incredible creatures. How did you get into shark work? Do you know what? I've just always been fascinated by misunderstood predators and to me sharks are the most misunderstood that we've got out there so I was born on an island Puerto Rico in the Caribbean so the ocean was always kind of just a part of me and part of me growing up I was like okay what can I do to protect this beautiful ecosystem that I love just exploring and learning more about. And I learned that I could become a marine biologist. Uh, And it wasn't really until I saw a show on TV about sharks that I was like, you know what, I want to study them. Specifically, I want to study them. And that's kind of how I dove into the world of sharks. Uh, Literally. When you were a kid and you were seeing sharks on TV, I know when I was a kid, if you saw a shark on TV, it was because something horrible was about to happen to somebody, right? A shark was always a bad omen. Like a shark was an obstacle, right? That people had to navigate around or uh, a punishment, right? You'd be thrown in a Mm. shark tank or something like that. I'm, I'm wondering when you were a kid and you saw sharks like on TV, was it in like a way that was intimidating? Did they seem like scary to you? Yeah, I mean, I I saw them in so many different lights, uh, depending on what I was reading or what I was kind of absorbing. So in books, you know, a lot of times they were depicted as these scary animals. Uh, The same exact thing with TV as well. But then you go into some other like nature documentaries, and they just seemed like these really majestic animals just gliding through the ocean, kind of figuring out its environment and just cruising along. You know, there's over 500 different species of sharks, so not all of them are alike. In fact, they're all quite different and quite unique from one another. And so getting to see all the different types, I just got to see different, almost personalities of them, and it just made me fall in love even more with them. Yeah, for sure. It it makes a big difference when you're not seeing them with a creepy, ominous soundtrack playing underneath them also. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) They'll like edit and cut the video in such a way where the shark looks very ominous and terrifying. But like, if you were to just see one swimming around, it's not. They're just living their life. Yep. We love that. We love that for sharks. They've just got to go around, swimming around, enjoying the ocean, Uh, as they have done for over 450 million years. Which, on the grand scheme of things, sharks are so much older than I think a lot of people realize that they are. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we've had sharks longer than we've had trees. That's mind-boggling to me. (laughs) It really, really is. I mean, they've just survived so many different extinctions, five different extinctions that, you know, affected them as well. Um, You know, there's a lot of sharks that we used to have that are no longer around because they died from these extinction events. But I think part of what helped them survive to this 
present day and age is that they're so diverse. Uh, you know, you can find sharks in all depths of the ocean. You can find them in all sorts of habitats. So I think it's really, really cool that we've got these animals that have been around since the dinosaurs. <laughs> they're looking over at like trees and they're like, oh, you're new here? You must be yeah, new. Exactly. They're like, we've been here a while. We'll show you around. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. It's just like, oh, here, let's give you the lay of the land. This is my bit. You can have the dry stuff. We don't want that anyways. <laughs> There's nothing for us up there. It's all bugs. <laughs> Okay, since you mentioned that there's like a lot of sharks that have gone extinct, the only one that I for sure like know of off the top of my head is the goofiest looking thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh, I think I know which one you're talking about. <laughs> is it Gila Capriya? Yes. <laughs> what is ha- Okay, I know this is we're already a little off topic, but I promise we're not going to dwell too long on this. What's what's happening? What's going on with Gila Capriya? <laughs> Look, okay, so for those who don't know, um, funnily enough, Helicoprion wasn't actually a shark. It was a chimera, which is like a cousin of the sharks. Oh, my gosh. Um, and so Helicoprion, from the photos that people have recreated and whatnot, is it looks like your great white shark, except instead of the jaws that we know of this day and age, it looks like it has a buzz chainsaw, like a circular chainsaw <laughs> in front of its mouth for the bottom jaw and then the top jaw kind of like whirls up as well uh to be honest it's not my area of expertise at all (laughs) the ancient kind of sharks and their relatives but from what i've seen and what people have kind of gathered is they think those teeth kind of helped just shred whatever animal they kind of put in so the top kind of held things down while the bottom kind of just shredded bits up because sharks can't chew like you and i can so when they bite something off they have to swallow it whole so that might have helped with them you know making those Mm. bite-sized bites a little smaller that makes a lot more sense than like some of those earlier reconstructions where like people were taking a couple of passes at illustrating what they think it looked like where like it curled like the bottom jaw curled out and like spiraled underneath its chin and then they were like that can't be it no try again (laughs) yeah exactly that (laughs) a total mess but i did want to ask a little bit about so i know that getting out into the field going out and actually like working with sharks hands-on in the ocean is I feel like a dream come true for a lot of people was it like a dream come true for you (laughs) oh a hundred percent I mean I remember the first time I saw a shark was while learning how to scuba dive and I came up from that dive just absolutely screaming like oh my god shark (laughs) shark and the scuba dive instructor rightfully thought that I was like terrified until she saw my face and saw like I was happy and she was like oh okay no she's fine never mind like ignore her (laughs) and and that's been me every single time I mean I'm really lucky that I've been able to see sharks quite a lot in my career so far and every single time I see a shark I get super super excited no matter the species Every single time I get excited and especially getting to work with them hands on sometimes. It's just been really special and really incredible knowing that I get to work with animals that have been around for such a long time. Recently, I got to do some work up in the Arctic with the shark that is also the oldest vertebrae in our planet. So the oldest animal that has a backbone (laughs) and the expert that I was helping Uh, work with they said based on the size of the animal and kind of how they looked they thought it was about like 150 maybe 200 years old and I'm like I have my hands on an animal that's 100 years old minimum how cool is that was that a was it a Greenland shark it was oh man I don't even know how I would feel in that moment you know like it's something different to like interact with something that has been living and breathing and like perceiving the earth since yes. since before anything we would even recognize right like it's the world it has seen has been incomprehensible to us <laughs> yeah exactly that exactly that it's just it's so different and just yeah it being around an ocean that is completely different from today and unfortunately so much worse off as well Mm -hmm. you know it's it's probably seeing trash for the first 
five minutes of life. Oh, that's true. Because if it's 150 years old, like at that point, it may have not really seen, you know, trash to the scale that we have it at today. Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting. Um, and it kind of makes me wonder, you know, what, what do you see? Like, what do you know? Yeah. Doesn't it just make you long for a translator device? Yes. <laughs> what I wouldn't give for some sort of like, some some sort of Star Trek translator that would just let you like human to shark have a little like one good conversation. What I wouldn't give. There's this uh, TV show I grew up watching that's called The Wild Thornberries. I don't know if you... Oh my gosh! Yes. Yes! <laughs> Her superpowers. So for those who don't know, uh, The Wild Thornberries was out late 90s, early 2000s. And it was about this family of um, the parents were wildlife uh, TV producers and hosts. And they have these kids. They're in the Comvi, which is like this giant RV, essentially. And they're going around the world filming all of these animals. Well, the youngest actually gets the superpower of talking to animals. And I wanted to be Eliza Thornberry when I grew up. I wanted to speak to animals and especially sharks. But it was funny because even in that show, they painted sharks as like these mindless killers. And I was like, no, <laughs> just have a conversation with it. We weren't ready. We weren't no, ready. <laughs> we weren't. Shark, uh, shark representation has come a long way. And at least the wild thornberries, I think, even if they missed the mark on that one, they at least paved the way, yeah. right, for like people who would come later and be like, oh, wait, let's actually give sharks a chance. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's been really interesting kind of seeing how sharks have evolved in some ways in mm -hmm. media and in TV shows and in books and stuff like that. Uh, but there's definitely still that prevalent, no, they're killers uh, mindset oh, for out sure. there as well. I would say even especially so for the shark that we're kind of focusing on a little bit today. Today we're talking about tiger sharks, which um, I've, I have to admit, I've only ever heard of them in very scary contexts, right? I feel like they're kind of the go-to, if it's not a great white shark, it's a tiger shark, right? They're like the mm. go, I guess because you get two very ferocious, tough predator names in one, you get the tiger mm. and then boom, you follow it up with a shark, right? That's yeah. two strong words. <laughs> but for people, I would say like me, who aren't incredibly familiar with this animal, I would love it if you could introduce us to the tiger shark a little bit. Yeah, so tiger sharks are my absolute favorite sharks. I love that. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and like you said, they are one of those sharks that are known to be dangerous to humans because we have had some run-ins with them where tiger sharks have bitten people before in the past, even though it's a very rare event. You know, it has happened. Uh, and that's because tiger sharks like to eat sea turtles. Uh, that is one of their favorite foods to eat. And when we are on surfboards, a lot of times we look like a sea turtle. Uh, so it could be a case of mistaken identity. But tiger sharks also do have another nickname, which I really love, which is the trash cans of the sea. That's rude. Because <laughs> they kind of eat anything, which you know what? I can relate with that. Like you put food in front of me, I will probably take a bite out of it. Waste not, want not, okay? They're low waste. That's what they are. Exactly, exactly. They're a very eco-conscious animal. You know, they <laughs> we found some really interesting stuff in their stomachs. For example, we've found TNT, the explosive, in their stomach, uh, a porcupine. That's not where you want TNT to... Oh, what? Now, hold no. on. <laughs> no, no it keeps getting weirder. <laughs> keeps getting weirder. Uh, suit of armor tires, uh, chicken wire, license plates, uh, the list goes on. It's real weird. The suit of armor tells a fascinating story. Like, yeah. that creates so many more questions than it answers. It really, see, but this, here's the thing. The other stuff, like the suit of armor, the, the TNT, the chicken wire, I can understand that being trash, that the tiger shark has come across the porcupine this is what i wanted to ask you about where like did it get <laughs> lost like where did it come from what kind of porcupine was it it would have to be so lost yeah. be <laughs> because i okay so i can only speak for north american porcupines but as i know them they're typically nowhere near any body of water that could contain a tiger shark. So a situation in which those two creatures would share a biome 
would have to have gone so incredibly awry. Like nothing was yep. going right. <laughs> no, not at all. It's just, yeah, it's not, it wasn't good day for the porcupine. That's for sure. I'm wondering if maybe this was like a falling off of a boat situation. Like maybe if one was on a boat. That's the only thing I could think that's of. That's the only way, right? <laughs> yeah. It's the only thing I can think like, of. Because porcupines like, are built to not get eaten. <laughs> yeah. The poor thing. It was probably having a rough time. It was probably yeah. dealing with like seasickness. Uh, well, I mean, that quickly became the least of its worries, it sounds like. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> But yeah, they eat some real funky stuff. So that's one reason why I love them. Um, the other is the way that they look. So they are called tiger sharks, um, not because of the fact that they eat a lot of things, but because they have stripes on their sides. And when they're born, the stripes are very, very bright, very, oh. like very contrasted against um, the rest of its body. So it's kind of hard to miss it. But it acts as really, really good camouflage. Um, those stripes do fade with time as it gets a bit older and stuff like that. But they are still quite prominent. For example, with my research, um, we throw these underwater cameras in different locations currently where I'm in, in Western Australia. And we saw an almost nine foot tiger shark and the stripes are still quite you can see them. They're quite bright still, which is really, really awesome. So, yeah, they do get their common name from that. I can see it. I, I was pulling up a picture um, while you were describing this. And I got to say, it's really cool. It reminds me a little bit of like, I know this is going to get confusing when I try to use common names, but like the zebra leopard shark, like the zebra shark, yes. leopard shark. I know their names are flipped around. I can never keep track of which one is which, but like the stripes kind of have that sort of like broken spotty appearance mm, yeah definitely and common names are so funny because kind of how you've just pointed out it really depends where you are in the world so over in the states it's known as the zebra shark whereas over here in australia it's known as the leopard shark so it's it's really funny and especially because you guys over in the states also have your own leopard shark just to make matters worse <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's why scientists tend to go with the scientific name instead, because the scientific name very rarely changes, at, at least for sharks. The rays are a whole other thing. They Anatomy is going crazy over there. The <laughs> names of the rays keep changing. I had a friend who... Um, was doing her PhD on rays and the entire like scientific family for rays changed in the middle of her PhD. And she's like, this is so annoying. Oh, you hate to see it. For those who are interested, uh, the scientific name for tiger sharks is Galeo Cerdo Cuvier. <gasps> That's beautiful. Yeah, it just sounds really nice. It does. That's gorgeous. And a fitting name for a gorgeous shark. We'll talk about aesthetics in a little bit. We'll get there. We don't want to show our hand completely. We got to save a little bit, a little bit of hype for the end. Because if this is your first time listening to this podcast, what we do is rate animals out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. The first category of effectiveness means physical adaptations. So ways that the shark's body is built, they like things that allow them to catch their prey things that allow them to not become prey themselves. I'm curious to know, what do you give the tiger shark out of 10 for effectiveness? Do you know what? Um, I've, I've got to give them a 10. So their teeth are just, they're, they're actually one of the most unique teeth for sharks. Mm, tell me about it. If you picture a standard shark tooth, which usually is triangular, has some serrations that look like a saw on either side of the tooth. That's really good for sawing through things. Um, you know, something grabbing onto it, shaking its head back and forth. It can do that sawing motion. Sure, like a steak knife. Yeah, like a steak knife. Exactly. They do have that, but it's also curved um, for tiger sharks. So it's a really unique shape tooth that has these really big serrations and this curve that almost allows it to act like a can opener which is perfect for when it wants to try to eat turtles and i've seen it in video be very very effective at that sawing motion with those teeth being able to use it to tear chunks out of turtles um, and also a few of my 
bait bags as well. <laughs> so, oh no. <laughs> yeah. The good thing is, is they're not too, too expensive. If it was up for the camera, I'd be crying a little bit more, but. Oh no. I can only imagine. Oh, I feel so stressed out for y'all. Like when I'm watching a documentary about marine biologists working with anything and I see how many thousands of dollars of equipment are going into the ocean and I'm like, Ugh. I, I just want you to know my hair has gone gray for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, that's that's us too. There's been a few moments where we have like picked up, they're called baited remote underwater video cameras or brubs for short. And basically it's a fancy way of saying it's underwater cameras in this like steel or aluminum cage with a little treat bag at the end um, where the cameras are so the animals can come close and we can ID them and then measure them. And there's been a few times where you pick it up and just the bait bag, the stick is gone. And you're like, oh, man, I hope the cameras at least caught what it was. And there's been a few times where it has caught it. And it's just really incredible footage seeing like these tiger sharks go after these bait bags. But yeah, you do. You're just like, oh, great. Now I got to go get another one. (laughs) Hope it was worth it. I mean, the footage is always really cool. Right. Um, Scientific-wise, I don't know if that helps us sometimes. But yeah, very, very effective. Those teeth can go through quite a lot. So very effective at doing what it does, which is, you know, eat things. A a lot of them, it looks like. (laughs) Yeah. And do they have, like, like some other sharks, do they have like the rose of teeth? Yes. So they do have rows of teeth, individual teeth, not like some species of sharks where a whole row of to- teeth is connected and then falls out. Oh, um, sure. They are individual teeth that kind of go through this conveyor belt. When one gets broken or chipped, the other kind of comes over and takes over, uh, which is why we see shark teeth littered on the beaches a lot. Um, they're just a constant conveyor belt of teeth. And we're really glad that sharks don't have uh, dentists or orthodontists <laughs> because those bills would be very high. Although, would they? Because if they lose a tooth, it's no big deal, right? No. So then, like, what do you need to go to the dentist for if you're like, I'll just grow new ones. I'll grow new fresh ones. It's no big. That would be like going to a hair doctor. Exactly. They don't need teeth cleanings or nothing. No, they're fine. (laughs) Exactly that. I was looking at a picture of their teeth and like how you mentioned that the, the tip of the tooth, rather than going like straight up like other triangular teeth it kind of like check marks off to the side Mm. like it makes like a sudden right turn and goes like in the opposite it's it's it has a very distinct shape you know what i think it's kind of shaped like a little bit Mm. a heart it looks like a little heart i can see that (laughs) i can see that i don't know if the animals that it's eating would think that but (laughs) i can see it you don't think they're uh, staring into uh, that Snapchat filter where you got like a bunch of hearts coming out of your face or something like that? You don't think that's <laughs> what the experience is like for a sea turtle? I don't know. I, I think <laughs> at the end, it's not thinking, oh, man, it's got lovely teeth. But just like even just eating a sea turtle, that by itself, I think, is a testament to something's like strength. Because mm. you got to have some serious crunch in there to get through a sea turtle. Oh, Yeah. It's just incredible, just, again, how effective of a predator they are. Something that I really enjoy when talking about any shark, something that I think is really, really cool is the skin of sharks, um, Mm. which is the sort of thing that kind of, I highly recommend if anybody ever has an opportunity to feel what a shark's skin feels like. It's very interesting. Yeah, it again, depends on the individual sharks and stuff like that, as most things do with animals. But for the most part, um, it can be quite rough. Uh, If anyone ever goes to like Home Depot or Lowe's or your local um, hardware store, go over to where the sandpaper is and just (laughs) run your fingers like or your hand lightly over it. That's kind of what shark skin feels like. Um, And the same exact thing with Uh, tiger sharks their skin feels very similar to that except it does have like this layer of mucus on top of it oh no what Um, that makes it a bit (laughs) slimy yeah it just protects the sharks a little bit extra um it gets all over you when you're trying to tag them (laughs) oh my gosh i had literally no clue yeah some sharks can be a little bit slimy 
Really? Huh. Mm. Is that... Okay, so you said it helps protect them a little bit. What is what is slime protecting them from that the massive size and teeth aren't already protecting them from? <laughs> from the little things, like little bacteria and copepods or anything like that. It just it's a nice little like healthy barrier to the rest of the ocean almost in a way. It's their skincare routine. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> I would love to see a, a makeup influencer tiger shark. Doing like, hey guys, get ready with me. I'm about to go out sea turtle hunting. This is my exfoliation. This is the mucus that I cover my body in to protect me from parasites. Yes. Like, I would love to see that TikTok. That would be hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) When you get it on you, because this is something I feel like I can only get from somebody who's experienced this. When it gets on you, is it like nasty or is it something that you just are like, yeah, this is fine? I mean, it's... One thing a lot of people forget is just how nasty shark science can be. You've got to <laughs> lure in the animals somehow, and that's usually with, like, dead, rotting, bloody, oily fish. Then you've got them that are sometimes covered in this kind of mucus that gets all over you and, you just, like, cannot get off. Sometimes the sharks, for some scientists, we actually try to get the sharks to throw up so we can do stomach analysis. So then you've got vomit oh. all over the place. Like... Shark science can get really, really nasty sometimes, and I think a lot of people forget that. So you kind of just get used to it. Um, Mm. I am quite lucky that my partner, I guess, likes the smell of fish because... (laughs) Oh, that has to be like a big ask, huh? (laughs) Oh, yeah. There's there's definitely some times where I come home and I'm like, cool, I'm going to do all of my laundry and just my laundry (laughs) because otherwise everything else is going to smell like fish. The way that you're describing a coating of mucus, vomit, nastiness everywhere, it sounds a little bit like wrangling a massive toddler. (laughs) Kind of is. Which is maybe my, just my own sort of expressing my feelings about my current toddler. And I feel like this is just if he was uh, nine feet tall and equipped with thousands of knives. Yeah, and a few thousand pounds. Are tiger sharks typically, like, huge, or is this just kind of like a one-off thing? No, no, they can get quite large. They're not like a whale shark or anything like that, where whale sharks can get up to, like, 60 feet long. But they do they do get quite big, and I think they're one of the largest predatory fishes, either number two or number three, after the great white sharks. So, I mean, they get quite big. Something that you mentioned, because you have a, a really cool TED Talk, and you mentioned something really interesting about sharks and their size, in the sense that uh, the female sharks are, are bigger. Yeah, so female sharks do tend to be bigger um, than males. And you know, that's something that we see a lot of in the animal kingdom, where females tend to be a bit bigger than the males, which I think is really, really cool. And there's a really easy way to actually figure out whether a shark is a female or a male. They have what is known as claspers. The males have claspers, which essentially is their reproductive organs. So if you can see that on a shark, then it is a guy shark. I have heard that this is a point of contention with Finding Nemo. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they decided not to put that in Finding Nemo. I don't know why. Cowards. It was cowardice. Give a concession to the nerds out there and give them claspers. It's fine. It's, yeah, it's funny. It's really, really (laughs) funny. But yeah, next time you see a shark, um, look for those claspers and you go from there. Hey there, we are going to take a quick break to hear from a couple of the other shows on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we're going to rate ingenuity and aesthetics for tiger sharks. So stick around. I'm sure you've noticed how giant corporations are controlling more and more about what we consume, whether it's our food, our news, or even the shows we enjoy. The Greatest Generation is a show that stands up to Big Star Trek and says no. We can laugh about costumes that fit too tightly in the groin area. We can make a Star Trek podcast that's basically only about that. The Greatest Generation. 
this show for free and independent thinkers about Star Trek. And the groins of different costumes. Reviewing every episode in order. So subscribe to The Greatest Generation on MaximumFun.org. You'll be doing your part in telling the Star Trek industrial complex that they can't control your mind. Hi, it's Kevin from MaxFunHQ. This year for Giving Tuesday, we're inviting you to a super fun tarot event. It's got some of your favorite Max Fun hosts, and it's for a great cause. Join Depression Mode's John Moe, Carrie Poppy of Ono, Ross, and Carrie, Stuart Wellington from The Flophouse, Tom Lum from Let's Learn Everything, and Ellen Weatherford of Just the Zoo of Us. Your suggested $10 donation supports National Casa GAL and their work advocating for kids in foster care. That's this Giving Tuesday, November 29th at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Check out MaximumFun.org slash events for more information and tickets to The Tarot Show with John Moe. Some other stuff that you talked about in your TED Talk was the shark's ecology and behavior. That is exactly what we rate animals on in ingenuity. So... (laughs) If this is your first time listening, ingenuity, our second category that we rate animals on, is the behavior that the animal does. Uh, so like clever things that they're doing, maybe ways that they're solving problems, ways that they're like navigating their environment. I'm curious to know, because I honestly do not know uh, very much about tiger shark behavior, but I uh, am curious to know, what do you give tiger sharks out of 10 for ingenuity? Yeah, you know, I, I think I've got to give them a 10 for this as well, not just for tiger sharks, but sharks in general, they tackle problems in a really interesting way. Really? Yeah. So sharks are really interesting in that they have a few extra superpowers. So they have something that's called the ampullae of Lorenzini, which is a fancy way of saying they've got these jelly-filled pores under their snout. You might have seen it before in like some photos where it's like really up close to the shark's nose and they almost look like blackheads, like little black dots under their nose. Those are jelly-filled pores that actually can pick up electrical senses. So they pick up electricity around the water um, and around their environment. And you're probably like, Melissa, what do you mean electricity in the water? When our heart beats, when our muscles move, we're giving off electricity. And though those little like electrical impulses that are being given off, those sharks can pick up. So even though they can't see you, they can actually feel you. So a really good example for this, and probably one of my favorites, is actually hammerheads. Hammerheads love to eat stingrays, which bury themselves under the sand. So obviously you can't really see them. But because there's so many ampullae Lorenzini underneath that snout, that big hammerhead, uh, they can very kind of almost go like a metal detector, but a food detector, look for <laughs> these stingrays, pick up those electrical pulses, and then with one side of their head, pin the stingray down and the other side of their head, eat it. It's 100% a telltale heart. It is literally the telltale heart. I wonder if that's where Edgar Allan Poe got the inspiration for, like, the heartbeat under the floorboards, spooky, scary story. I wonder if that's it. Maybe. I'm not sure. I've heard that Edgar Allan Poe was a total shark science enthusiast. (laughs) He was all about it. (laughs) He loved sharks. I, you know what, I should be. Hello, quick editing note, Melissa's audio got a little distorted in this final stretch. Don't worry, it's not your audio device. We just had a little recording glitch. So sorry about that, but I promise it is still great stuff. Hang in there. You will be glad you did. Back to it. That's just one of the like superpowers that they have. And just the ways that they kind of tackle it around and whatnot. Like, you know, great white sharks are ambush predators. So they'll lie really close to the ocean floor, kind of looking up to see their prey and what they're doing, such as the seals. And when the seals are frolicking about and can't really, like, see the shark, that's when the shark just really quickly shoots up and grabs it. It's so dramatic. It's, it's very dramatic, but it's really, really cool. So then you've got my fiance's most hated shark, the cookie cutter shark. I have such conflicted feelings about this shark because, like, I'm aware that it's so cool, but it's also viscerally disturbing. Yes. <laughs> yes. So for those who don't know, the cookie cutter shark, the reason it has its name is because it will attack bigger animals 
And with its jaw, that is very much like a cookie cutter, very sharp teeth, it'll latch onto an animal, spin around, and take out a cookie-sized chunk from this animal. Um, So if you've ever seen, like, whales or fish or actually even bigger species of sharks, they sometimes have these, like, very circular scars that is from a cookie cutter. My fiance hates it. Connor hates it. He's just like, just eat all of me. Like, don't take a piece of me. It's not fair. Just take all of me if you're going to do that. Give me the mercy of a swift death. Yes. But he also, he has tryptophobia, which is, like, uneasiness and a phobia of, like, holes. So I think that doesn't help. I get it. It's not an ideal. It's not my favorite shark. <laughs> no, no. Um, I think they're really cool. Uh, <laughs> but he's just like, I absolutely hate that shark. Yeah. I See, I feel like I'm of both minds about it because I can appreciate it because I like respect the hustle. But I also just am not a huge fan of what they've got going on because it seems just diabolical and creepy and weird. But, <laughs> but like in a way that I'm like, but I get what you're all about. It's like, it, I think it feels the same way people feel when they like watch the Saw movies, right? When they're like, ooh, I don't like this. But but here I am. <laughs> exactly that. So it's amazing the different type of hunting tactics that all of these animals have. But kind of contrary to people thinking, you know, they're just these mindless killers. If a shark feels like its own life is in danger, it will back off. Mm-hmm. So that is why a lot of people say, you know, you need to fight back. You need to punch him in the gills. You need to punch him in the snout or in the eyes. Because if it gets to the point where the shark feels like, oh, this isn't safe for me, it will leave. Just a good bop. Yeah, just just smack it. And, you know, a lot of people say go for the snout. And I'm like, oh, have you ever tried to punch something underwater? I have in every nightmare I've ever had in my life. Yeah, that's just what it feels like, right? We're a bit slow underwater. And so if you go for the snout, you might actually end up in the mouth. So oh. that's why I'm like, go for the gills. The gills is how they breathe. It's like if you got punched in the chest, you know, you're just... If someone punches you in the chest, you're not like, cool, let me just keep attacking you. You're just like... <gasps> fight over (laughs) yeah exactly so um you know if the snout is the only thing you can go for then of course go for it but go for the gills go for the eyes go for the snout go for those bits where you know that's really really important for the sharks and they will most likely let go um of course up to every individual shark you know one might be like i'm gonna eat you like (laughs) like it's going down (laughs) yeah it's going down But, you know, people do fight back and sharks do let go. Since we're talking about, like, hunting strategies and conflicts between sharks and humans, I would love to touch on the classic, uh, you know, sharks can smell a drop of blood from a mile away. Like, you know, the Finding Nemo where, like, a drop of blood gets in the shark's nose and he kind of goes haywire. Is that rooted in truth? No, not quite. It is over-exaggerated a little bit. Um, They do have really incredible senses. So, you know, they can sense blood from quite a distance away. They can sense thrashing of a struggling animal from quite a distance away. You know, they do have the same senses as we do, including a few extras as well that help make them be such effective predators. But yeah, I think The capabilities of sharks have been exaggerated a bit to paint them as more of a monster than they actually Mm. are. The same exact thing with how frequent shark bites are, I think, is an over-exaggeration. Shark bites are extremely rare, and I know they seem like it's something that happens all of the time because we hear it on the news all of the time. Um, And often it is the same shark bite being reported over and over and over again so you kind of get inundated and think oh this is something that happens all the time but it's actually quite rare Mm. um you're more likely to get bit by someone in new york than you are are ever getting bit by (laughs) and they can't even smell your blood at all exactly exactly those new yorkians (laughs) that's true i don't know that about them i probably shouldn't put that out there that's not fact checked (laughs) maybe they can i don't know (laughs) Yeah, it's it's just an extremely rare thing. It is a risk, but you know that that's a risk of living. You know, mm-hmm. you're you're a risk of something happening once you leave your house, once you're in your house. So it is a risk that you kind of have to take. Um, these animals have been around for a really long time, and we do have to learn how to coexist and share the ocean with them because you know that's their home first. Right. I I remember you know when you grew up in Florida and you go to the beach a lot. There was kind of a, I don't know if I would describe this as an old wives tale, but something they would tell kids is like not to go in the ocean if you had like 
a cut or something on you because a shark would smell your blood and it would attract a shark that would like come onto the beach and attack you. No, it won't. <laughs> you're, you're probably good. <laughs> Still stay out of the water if you have a cut because that can get infected. <laughs> you're more of a likely like case scenario of it getting infected than you are of it attracting a shark. It is once again, the little guys that you got to watch out for. You got to slather some mucus on your body. Take a hint from the sharks. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, so we've been kind of loving on sharks a little bit, and I know that a lot of people can kind of go either way on the appearance of sharks and whether they find them cute. I think it depends a lot on, like, your association with them, where, like, if you see them and you think scary, you might not be inclined to think that they're cute. So I don't really know which way you're going to land on this. I would love to know, what do you give the tiger shark out of 10 for aesthetics? All right. Aesthetics, both from, like grow like being a baby all the way to like growing up i've got to give them a nine okay the reason why they don't get that other point is because there are cuter sharks that are out there i i am a unbiased slash biased enough shark scientist <laughs> to realize you know there's some really cute sharks out there that the tiger shark even in its adorable baby form just cannot cut it what in your opinion is the cutest shark oh, the rough sharks rough shark yeah, rough shark. If you look up, especially the Caribbean rough shark, they just look like dumplings of the sea that is just bumbling it's about here. the world. What is this? It's just a little goober. It's got big old nostrils and where it looks like it's from like a cartoon and its name was probably like Poindexter. They are so cute. They're my second favorite shark. Love them. This is a very dweebish shark. <laughs> the dumpling of the sea is what I call them. Now, looking at this little guy and seeing how adorable it is, I can see now why maybe the tiger shark is not completely maxed out in its cute stat. I'm a whale shark person myself. I feel like a whale shark is like peak shark for me. Big whale shark fan. I think it's maybe the the patterns and the colors on top that are putting in a lot of work. But the tiger shark has that. Like, it has what I like about the whale shark, which is the the really striking spots and stripes. It's just in a different package. And it's so cool because there's so many different patterns out there that exist for sharks. Mm -hmm. And tiger sharks and whale sharks are just some of them. That leopard shark, the zebra shark that we talked about earlier, and also the leopard shark um, over in the States. Both of them have beautiful patterns. That zebra shark, it, it goes through a very interesting change, which is actually why it has the same common names or the two different common names, because it looks like a zebra when it is born with very striking black and white stripes. But as it grows up, those fade into a creamy background with dark brown to black spots all over, which makes it look like a leopard. So that's probably one of my favorite color transformations for sharks. Uh, you've got epaulette sharks, which are over here in Australia. They've got gorgeous coloring. And even some of the, like, the sharks that just have one color, for example, like the blue shark, a stunning blue mm. color, stunning. So yeah, there's gorgeous colorings in the sharks um, and some are really 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 cute i know that with a whale shark because the only time i've ever seen whale sharks in person is at the georgia aquarium in atlanta and the most incredible thing in the world to me is that you know whale sharks spend so much time up at the surface and the sort of like doppled pattern on their back looks a lot like the light filtering down through the ripples of the water above them. So like it kind of mimics like the pattern of the light. Is that kind of what's happening with the tiger shark too? Because it reminds me a lot of that pattern. Yeah, it's, it's the same with a lot of these sharks is to mimic their surroundings and make it really difficult for prey to be able to see them. Are they like up towards the surface of the water or more like down towards the bottom? Yeah, so tiger sharks are pretty well known throughout the water column. So they can kind of dive a little bit deeper, but tend to stick more towards the surface. Uh, they do like tropical and temperate waters. So they, they like the warmer waters, but can be found in a few cooler waters as well. Here in Australia, they are known for being off of the seagrass beds because they love eating dugongs and sea turtles, which is what is eating the seagrass beds. Uh, so we see them a lot there. But yeah, mostly towards the surface of the ocean uh, or towards kind of like the middle of the water column. What can't she do? I know, she can do it all. 
an icon. <laughs> I guess with them hanging out a lot at the surface, that would probably put them in prime human conflict zone. Exactly. And that, that is something that it happens with the shark species that do end up biting people. You know, they are in places where people frequent for great white sharks. Mm-hmm. It's that surf zone uh, for tiger sharks. It is that coastal area. And then for bull sharks, which is the other one of the quote unquote top three, it is in those murky rivers and waters. Not an ideal combination when you got people trying to share space with any large predator, really. We don't tend to play nice with our fellow large predators. So I can definitely see why we're going to have some uh, brush ups there, which is unfortunately unfair to the shark who has been here uh, long before us and will be here long after us. You mentioned earlier that, you know, perception of sharks is changing, the way that they're represented in media is changing over time, it's getting better, um, which I've definitely seen a lot, even just within my lifetime. But you have been putting the work in to make that happen. Um, You've got your very own books that are out and more on the way. Um, So I would love it if you could take a minute um, before we wrap up for the day to let our friends listening know um, about what your books are and where they can find them. Yeah, so I've got quite a few different books out there. I've got a whole entire series that's called Wild Survival, uh, and it is about the Villalobos family who travel the world rescuing animals for their TV show, uh, which is called Wild Survival, and bringing them back to their zoo and rehabilitating them. That one's for a bit older of an age group, sort of eight and up. Uh, There is a whole entire book dedicated to sharks, which is the second one of the Wild Survival uh, series, which is called Swimming with Sharks. And that sees the Villalobos family going over to Sri Lanka and trying to rescue a very rare and endangered animal that is called the Pondicherry shark. Uh, You get introduced to about, I think, like 10 different shark species, including, of course, the tiger shark in that book. And if you've got little ones who maybe they're not old enough yet to appreciate wild survival, I do have a children's picture book coming out uh, for ages seven and below, which is called Mother of Sharks. And it's actually available in Spanish as well. So Madre de los Tiburones. And that is about my kind of story with sharks and learning about different species of sharks, how I became a shark scientist and got the nickname mother of sharks that will be coming out may 30th 2023 but it is available for pre-order now i'm so excited for that because the illustrations on this book are breathtaking like even just the cover is absolutely gorgeous i think i see an epaulette shark i pulled up a picture just so that i could uh, have a visual as i think i see an epaulette shark on here <laughs> Yes, I was really, really adamant about having a lot of diversification of sharks and stuff like that. So there are at least like 20 different shark species that you are going to see in Mother of Sharks um, and learn a little bit about them. But I'm very, very excited to have people get this book in their hands because it's gorgeous. I cried um, the first time I saw like the full story with the illustrations in my hands. So I'm very, very excited for everybody to get their hands on it and read it. Absolutely. And there's going to be links to all the stuff below. So people listening to the episode can scroll down and click through to all the places where these books can be found. And, and before we hop off, where can folks follow you on social media, or keep up with your work? Like, where would you uh, like to be found? Yeah, so I am found on Facebook and Instagram at Melissa Christina Marquez. On Twitter, I am MCM Sharks XX. Uh, and you can just chat to me there. I'm always on social media, always happy to talk about sharks, about marine biology, um, about being Latina. And yeah, if you've ever got any questions about sharks, happy to answer them there or at my email, which is just my full name at gmail.com. Awesome. I, I know that for a lot of kids listening or people who used to be kids listening, you know, like being a marine biologist and being a shark scientist in particular also is a dream, right? For a lot of kids, especially like kids who I think were kids when I was a kid. I don't know what it, I don't know what kind of PR there was going on, but that was like the, like every kid wanted to be a marine biologist, right? And so I feel like being able to hear from a shark scientist that has like gone to the Arctic and, you know, like communicated with a Greenland shark, uh, you know, and had all these wonderful experiences, I think just like makes it feel 
realer, you know, so I feel like it uh, helps a lot of people either hear from you on this podcast or see in your books with these beautiful illustrations like that, like it's a real thing (laughs) that you can do, you know, it's it's a tangible dream. Exactly. No, exactly that. There's a lot of marine biologists out there. We've got more joining the ranks, which is really exciting. Uh, And there's always room for more people. So if marine biology is something that you are interested in, please come join us at Hope (laughs) Save the Oceans. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you so much for your time and your enthusiasm and your knowledge. Um, I hope we've recruited some folks to Team Shark today. It has been a delight. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening, friends. I hope that this feisty little friend has taken a great big chomp out of your heart. If you liked what you heard today, I hope that you leave behind some kind words for us in a review on your podcast app of choice, like Loudmouth412, who said on Apple Podcasts, I started listening yesterday a little bit into a 16-hour drive. I ended up listening to y'all the entire rest of the drive. Thanks for keeping me awake and entertained. 16 hours is an impressive journey, and I'm very thankful that you brought us along with you for the adventure. So thank you for that. It really means a lot to us. If you'd like to hang out with us online, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Discord. Links to everything are in the episode description. You can also send me an email at ellen at justthezooofus.com if you have a cool animal that you want to hear about. We'd like to thank Maximum Fun for having us on the network alongside the other wonderful shows like the ones that you heard promos for here today. I'll also be taking part in a live stream tarot reading show uh, that Maximum Fun is putting on to benefit the National uh, Casa Gal organization. If you'd like to um, hear more about that, learn more about the network and its shows and how you can support us, head over to MaximumFun.org. Finally, we would like to thank Louis Zong for our absolute bop of theme music. That is all for today. We'll talk to y'all next week. Thanks. Bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.